2015, I retired after a 35-year government career. Obviously, they didn't check my birth certificate too closely. I spent six months volunteering and going to the gym, but the transition was hard. Have any of you had a difficult six-month transition? I stumbled upon One Funnel Away and was considering these amazing internet possibilities. I put in the work, but I'll let you in on a secret. You are one funnel, course, or challenge away from the 12 you have to cut your teeth on. If you have invested in this entrepreneurial game, I see your heads moving up and down. Even harder for many of you, you haven't launched that first funnel yet. Hands? I found a better way. Is it okay if I share? It's called the growth mindset, and it makes all the difference in whether you're going to survive or thrive through this new journey. If you don't learn and adopt it, your problems will be stop signs, not puzzles to solve. Your grand destination will be just that, instead of the inevitable end to your hero's journey. You'll hate the reps, instead of knowing the hard work is bringing you closer. I teach it in my Launcher Challenge Challenge, along with the who, what, and how of things. The great news, just by listening to me on this podcast, your brain is going to force you to Google it and or me. You are actually on your way to major breakthrough. Let me guide you the rest of the way with my certified accountability coaching and program. If you have your message, you are just the growth mindset away. I'm Coach Ron. Let's do this. Another special edition of the Growth Mindset Guru podcast today. Our guest is Maxine Waters. She's founder of the Build a Bear Workshops and uh, has uh, really adopted St. Louis as her home for quite some time and is now involved in radical change trying to help the poor parts of St. Louis. I'm really looking forward to this interview and I hope you are too. These are the Gospel Hours uh, and we are founded on WSPN, although we have two different uh, platforms that we're on. Uh, we've been on, this is year 17 for us, uh, and today uh, we are very fortunate that we have uh, Miss Maxine Clark with us as our guest. Ron Hunt is also with us uh, today as kind of our moderator and uh, host, so we're doing a little, little different today, but uh, we're very, very fortunate to have Maxine on. So Maxine... Welcome, and thank you for being on with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. It's nice to see you guys. Absolutely. It's good to see you again as well. Um, so today, uh, it, today is December 6th. Uh, it is the first Sunday in December, and the last, obviously, last month of the year. Broadcast number is 624. Uh, and these are kind of the things that are, that are trending, and then we're going to get right on into uh, some of the discussions that we have uh, with Maxine. Um, on this day in 1865, Congress ratified the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery and, and uh, uh, involuntary servitude. Also, on the 4th of, of, uh, of, of uh, December was the founding of the first African-American uh, college fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, uh, on the campus of uh, Cornell University here in uh, middle of New York State. Um, 
the poet uh, on December 5th, 1784, the famous poet, uh, Billy Sweeten, passed away. Uh, the Lemon Squeezer, a gentleman by the name of John White invented that on December 8th, 1896, uh, and the uh, Female Anti-Slavery Society established itself in Philadelphia on December 9th, 1833. On December 5th, 1931, the great James Cleveland, gospel singer extraordinaire, was, was born in Chicago uh, on December 5th, 1935, Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, founded the National Council for Negro Women. Those are the women that have those African-American women with those red hats. Anyway, she started that organization in 1935. Uh, and a person uh, in terms of dermatological medicine, a gentleman by the name of Theodore Lawless, was born in 1892 on December 6th. So those are the things that are trending from a historical standpoint. Now let's move into our uh, discussion with Maxine. Maxine, um, I'm going to read a little bit of, of, of your background that I have here, but there are many facets and many phases of your life, and so we're going to try to touch on as many of them as, as we can uh, because you're doing some extraordinary things uh, as you are an extraordinary person. Uh, so one of the things that everybody that I've talked to is interested in going about is this, you know, Build-A-Bear workshop. So I'm going to start there, and then we're going to, you know, make our way into the other things that uh, we're, we're planning to talk about. So we're just going to touch on that for a moment or two, because Maxine is here today to talk to us about the Del Mar Divine, which is yeah. the project that may turn around a complete section of St. Louis and is opening next year. And we're so excited that I, I, I don't want to... Uh, step on Art's toes, and I don't want to diminish the amazing chapters you've had in your life so far, but we're fascinated by this. Yeah, no, I think that uh, um, they're, they're connected, actually. Um, you know, they, one wouldn't be possible without the other, so I think it's a really good question because, um, you know, around joy and making people happy and bringing smiles to communities is really something that's not as hard as people make it out to be. You just have to be intentional about doing it. And that's what Build-A-Bear was. It was intentional. Um, I wanted to start my own business. I did always plan to do that. But towards the end of my career at the maid company, I thought, we could make this more fun. We could make shopping more exciting. We could bring kids into the process. But I didn't know how exactly. I had a couple of ideas. And, and then one day, my next-door neighbor, Katie, who was only 10 years old at the time, she's in her 30s today, um, we were looking for Beanie Babies. And she said, you know, we couldn't couldn't find the one we were looking for. And she said, these are so easy, we could make these. She meant go home and do a craft project. But I heard something much bigger. <laughs> the Build-A-Bear workshop. The idea for Build-A-Bear was born, and we opened the store about nine months later in St. Louis at the Galleria. So listening to children or listening to communities, children were the community of Build-A-Bear, but you listen to communities, you find out that they know the answers to their problems. They just need help in getting to the solution. And there is a process, and they are often involved. And Build-A-Bear, when we started Build-A-Bear, I had children as my first board of directors. Children were helping me understand what kind of products we should sell, what colors they should be, how fluffy and soft they should be. 
shoes, what kind of colors they, and clothes they should wear. And I, I think if we looked at that, and I, I get that because I always wanted to be at the table too. And as a young woman growing up in business, I wasn't, I wasn't always invited. I have to sort of had to insert myself. And when I was invited, I learned a lot um, because you know you get to observe. You're the observer. And I think that that the communities that are um, under resourced in America, they know exactly what's needed. And it's not just money. They would tell you it, it takes money to do a lot of the things, but it's not really just money. It's attitude. It's engagement. It's inclusion. And so the Del Mar Divine project, which I'm working on, is to change the what we know in St. Louis is famous, the Del Mar Divide. And so the, by changing the D to N, became divine. And it, it stands for inclusion, innovation, <coughs> and investment, excuse me. And, so and the ripple effects from this... necessary to turn a, a community around or to make any community successful. And the ripple effects from a project like this can change the entire community over time. several years ago we put an option in on the property and once we did that it started to change the way other people looked at the property looked at the area and so there's a lot of development going on in this area already we will probably be the first um you know big project to be open but there's others that are happening along the way and so i'm very proud of that that's what the whole it's not just about you know one project that would never be enough it's about really you know creating a, a economic demand and excitement and energy around the people and the possibilities of the community. And it's so fun. It's like merchandising. It's like, you know, building a store or working in retailing. You know, you, you put certain things next to each other that go together, that will play off of each other, that will bring the customer to one door, and then they'll go in the next door, and they'll go in the next door. It's all the same. I, it really is just applying those skills to a different industry. I agree completely. And it always reminds me of uh, buying goats for African villages. And the goats had to go to the women because the women would share with everybody in the community and the entire community would, would, would benefit from one animal to, for, for starters. It, it's a very, we, we have not been as inclusive with our female entrepreneurs as I would like. And uh, that's something that is a bigger subject than we're gonna get to today. But what I loved, what I loved you talking about earlier was asking the children because you talk about this in your book. Um, can we plug your book for just a second? It's called, it's called The Bare Necessities of Business, and it's amazing. Uh, there is enough gold in this book to help anybody on their entrepreneurial journey. And it wasn't just children. It was every customer who walked in the door. It was every employee who worked for you that got to give feedback. and. Then I'd like to segue to the Red Pencil Award. Sure. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to just make sure people understand kind of some of the content that's in the book, you know, in, in broad strokes. You know, you, you talk about getting started. Uh, you talk about, you know, becoming a great boss. You talk about connecting with customers. Uh, all the bare necessities of business, creating an, 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 an incredible experience, I assume, employee experience and also creating an incredible experience for the customer using essential marketing strategies, growing uh, your business, and then the thing that we just talked about, giving back. And, you know, one of the one of the things that I, I wanted to, you know, hopefully segue to eventually, and that's, you know, your foundation, 
and how that plays into this uh, as well. So, you know, to the extent you want to pick up on any of those lines that I just read or talk about the foundation or talk about, you know, the meaningful, you know, philanthropic, you know, efforts, uh, you just talk about how important. I'd have to go back a little ways, a long ways, yeah. actually, because okay. my mother, uh, my, mo my mother and father are both first generation in this country. Their parents came from a foreign country. And they also, my parents did not have college education. My father was uh, worked in, was in the military, and he learned his craft being an electrician in the military. Mm -hmm. And so my mother um, had the good fortune to work for, my mother and father both from Albany, New York. Okay. And my mother worked for Eleanor Roosevelt when she was the first lady of New York as a secretary in the typing pool. And when Eleanor Roosevelt went to New York, we went to D.C., she picked people to, be, to go with her, and she picked my mother to go with her because my mother was a fast typist and an excellent stenographer. Nobody knows what that is anymore, but mm -hmm. my mother had her own language. She did Greg shorthand with the Annie K, which is her nickname, you know, twang to it. And so for Eleanor Roosevelt, that was very good because nobody else could read it except my mother. And uh, my mother was a very much a, a, a public servant. Uh, when, um, the war, when World War II was over and um, my mother and father moved to Miami where my father was stationed, my mother, with the help of Eleanor Roosevelt and other women in the community, uh, started a school for children with Down syndrome, which was then called Mongoloidism. And uh, it was very important to my mother. And it was important, my mother learned this from Eleanor Roosevelt, as did many women across the country. If you look at a picture of Eleanor Roosevelt, she's almost always surrounded by women. Mm -hmm. She believed that women had a sensitivity to these social inequities and would make a difference when they could, when the war was over, when there was more plentiful jobs and our husbands came back from, from uh, the military. And that's exactly what did happen. And all of the things that we're thankful for today, like the mainstreaming of children with Down syndrome, or the polio vaccine, or Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or any of the seat belts, those were all women uh, campaigning for those events who, who felt the loss of a child or felt the, the, the problems of having a child with a disability that society didn't even recognize as a human being. All these things needed to be changed. And one by one, these women went across the country and learned from each other and changed these things. And so that's in my blood. I, I don't know how to take something, you know, just for granted. I just know how to try to make it better. Okay. And I, I did not want to be a social worker or a social entrepreneur. I wanted to be a business person. I wanted to actually be an attorney. And so I went to college after, um, I went to college, and then I went to Washington, D.C. with the intention of being an attorney. But I had to go to work to go to law school, so I had to work to do that part. And um, while I was working um, at the head company in Washington, D.C., my boss had got sick, and I had to fill in for him. And in that process, I learned how to do his job because mm -hmm. all of his suppliers, that he was a really good buyer and everyone liked him, they wanted to be him to be successful and get his bonus when he came back, and the only way they could guarantee that is if they helped me be successful. And so I didn't know anything. I had to ask a lot of questions. And by the time he came back, our business was on fire for a lot of reasons. But um, one of them was that the women were going back to work in the workforce and buying clothes and shoes and hosiery and all kinds of things. And so it really made a big difference. And I got promoted right after that. So I, I learned the value of working and being rewarded for your hard work. Um, I wasn't the highest paid person. I'm sure that I was underpaid, I'm sure, to the men that were in equal positions to me. But um, I always used my ingenuity and my you know, creativity to solve a problem. Because I could feel it as a consumer. I felt it. I knew that this was not right. Um, I'm a petite person. How am I? How can I go into a petite sportswear department and have to stand on a ladder to reach the clothes? It doesn't make sense. 
pilot hiring research. All these things just take consumers to really think about. And most women who work in business today are also consumers, and they bring that consumer perspective, that user perspective to the work. Um, and I think it's a, it's a long overdue uh, change for our American business environment, especially the boardroom, to have more women um, at the table helping companies see things they wouldn't see otherwise. Absolutely. And that's happening. And that's happening. But um, I also understand that when I had created this business and I was I was able to create it with the money I saved from working for the main company and having a big, important job, and I want, and it was the customers, the families, the children that came in and gave me the, I remember those little, lots of little kids over the course of time working for their little, uh, you know, Ziploc bag with all their pennies and dimes and quarters, and they'd added it up just so they'd have enough to buy their bear, an outfit, or buy a new bear. And I just, I was, it was all I could do sometimes to keep from crying that they did that, but I knew that they were, they'd be successful. And so when, when we took Build a Bear Public in 2004, I wanted to take the proceeds of that and put it into our family. My husband and I created a family foundation um, in order to um, give back that money to the community. We didn't spend it all at once. Um, you know, we haven't spent it all yet, by the way. Um, thank goodness it was, it was a good amount of money, and it's grown in, over time. But we did, um, we knew that when we retired, we would have more time to really delve into the issues. And, but we did give to things that we cared about, education, immigration, criminal justice reform. We gave to organizations that we, rec we, we realized were the top of their field. And then we got to work doing the work um, when we both retired. We were able to do that. And um, I was working in education, uh, opening up a charter school, a kids' charter school in this neighborhood where this building is. And one day I literally took a right turn instead of a left turn. And I said, I'm going to go see what's going on in this neighborhood. And I drove by as they were putting, nailing in the for sale sign of this building. And I immediately thought, what are they going to do with this building? Tear it down? Let it crumble? Leave it? Not? It's huge. It was five, almost 500,000 square feet and it was 10 wow. buildings. So I called a friend who had been working in this you know, co-working and collaboration space. And I said, why don't you, Dennis, why don't you buy this building and put it into your project and call it Cortex West? He said, I have no time to do it. Why don't you do it? And I thought, well, yeah, why don't I do it? You know, I've got the help. You know, I'll do it. And I got to work on it. And that was five years ago. So um, it really is um, uh, a long-term project. It's a major investment. It's a $100 million project, not all at once, but, but over the next few years. And um, it takes a lot of, there's a lot of details and a lot of people. And in the process, I had to slow down. I'm normally a person who makes a decision, and if I can afford it, I just do it. You know, like I don't have to ask permission. But this time I had to ask permission because it was a lot of money. And I, I got to spend a lot of time with the neighbors and find out what they thought, what they wanted, and how they would see their part in it. And, um, over time, I got to have a lot of friends in the neighborhood, um, people that I've been invited to their weddings and invited to their baby showers. I'm invited to their house for a cup of, of coffee or a glass of wine. And I value that. That is a, that is a, a really, really, really um, a gift. And I don't take that lightly. And so not only in the process have we built this building, this great community, but I've become a part of a different community than one I live in. One that's not very far from me, by the way, about three or four miles away. Um, I could walk it if I had to. But um, not like New York or some other big cities. People don't do that much walking in St. Louis. But I could walk it. When I lived in D.C. and I lived in New York, I did walk more than this distance every day. Um, but, again, in St. Louis, things are sort of more segregated. They're built to be segregated. And I don't have to cross any highways. But a lot of, a lot of, uh, actually, it's not, it's not even, I might do it one day. I have to figure that out, actually. But uh, it's very close by, and 
bad neighborhoods yet, but that are my neighborhoods yet. You know, that's how it all works in life. You know, sure. if you want something to be better, if children all have a better education, we will all be better off. The world will be better off. And I don't know how we decide that it's just you get this piece of the pie and I get this this little smaller piece or this not as tasty piece. Uh, crazy. I get the stale piece and you get the fresh piece. I don't go for any of that because I was very fortunate to have a good public education all the way from K to, to, to college. And it's where, why I'm where I am because my parents did not have that benefit. And I have a much um, better, I, I don't know if I should say better, I have a much different life, many more experiences, life experiences, friends, travel, uh, education, uh, because I could have, I, I could, and they wanted me to have that. They provided that for me. I know I've said a lot, but it's a long life, you know, it's a long time. And I've, I've been fortunate to be able to pack it full of good things for me and good things for my husband and good things for the community at the same time. And it's a win-win. So tell us, tell us some of the things that are that are anticipated for that building, and also let us know what the prognosis is in terms of the grand opening and when when that will be, some and some of the programming that's in the building. Yeah, so uh, the building is is actually made up of three phases. Like the first two phases are happening closer together. So phase one is a um, an office building. It was the doctor's office building in this hospital, and those are going to be converted into offices for nonprofits. And we'll have about thirty nonprofits as well as a, a co-working space that we'll have um, uh, for startups, for entrepreneurs, not just for-profit, non-profit, but for for-profit entrepreneurs. This, this is, um, project is in a predominantly um, African-American neighborhood, but it wasn't always that neighborhood. It was always a neighborhood, though, of diversity. Uh, at the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, it was an immigrant uh, neighborhood. I'd say mostly Jewish, but not necessarily. Like, right behind us is a park. And on the side of that park was um, Visitation Academy, which is a Catholic girls' school. And those two streets that surround that school, they were deemed needed as Catholic streets so that people could live there and bring their daughter, their daughters could walk to this beautiful school. It moved out to uh, out west, and they donated the building to the community, and it became a park. So these are the kinds of things that I, I can't imagine how much fun it must have been to work and live in a neighborhood like that. Um, we're right next to Forest Park, which is where the World's Fair, the 1904 World's Fair was. So that's an amenity that's in, in, in just a few blocks away from us. And these houses and this neighborhood was built around that you know, growth of that of the, the World's Fair coming to St. Louis. So um, and there were about six elementary schools in the neighborhood, you know, so there was lots of density of people. And now there's about 7,700 people that live in, in this zip code. Um, there's room for a lot more, and we're going to hopefully um, – but the building is going to be a home for nonprofits, and then um, the front building, which you can see in the picture, uh, is 150 apartments for teachers, nurses, social workers, public health, public safety, those young people that graduate from college and graduate school and make that 35 to 50,000, they're not going to really ever be rich, not in those careers, but we want to start them off in a great living environment with a great, in a great neighborhood uh, with lots of amenities, so it's right between Washington University and St. Louis undergraduate campus and the medical school campus, and two entertainment districts, the, the Loop, the Del Mar Loop, and the Central West End, which have all the restaurants and entertainment and theaters and all this good stuff. So you couldn't be in a better location. And it's also on the main bus line and transportation line, so you could get anywhere you wanted to go in, in a relatively short period of time. So um, we're excited. It doesn't mean you have to live there and work there, but you could live there and work there. Uh, and then phase two, uh, or phase three, which is coming in a few years, is, was the nursing school. So it's configured like a school.
somebody might reinvent. So we're, we're thinking about how we might put out an RFP for something like that and get some um, really uh, people engaged in educational innovation to support it as well. So that's just down the road. That may It may end up being more office space because we really need it um, because the demand is so great um, in the case of for nonprofits to have affordable space. Uh, and also, there, so inside the building is a huge amount of shared space, big conference rooms, an auditorium, a gathering, a meeting place, um, a, uh, uh, the gym, a gym that people can use, uh, all kinds of technology that will, that's available to everyone. And so that's shared. That's part of the community. That doesn't cost you. That's included in the rent. And, and then outside, there's um, you know, grassy areas. Like you could go outside and eat. You could um, – there'll be beautiful you know, uh, gardens that are – one of our tenants is Gateway Greening. They're going to help us with the landscaping and um, uh, the um, all that. So that's all exciting. I had to write myself a note. I just thought of something. Um, but the uh, so we're really excited about that. And then we're also part of our um, our programming that we're going to offer to our tenants is called the Center for Human Services Leadership, which is really to help nonprofits develop their their team. You know, how do you plan for the future? How did what should your board look like? What should your organization succession planning be, all these kinds of things. So the St. Louis one organization just robs from one another one. So you know, organization X has an opening. They hire somebody. They steal somebody from another organization. Then there's a hole here. We constantly have holes of talent, and we need to be better prepared to handle that um, in the future. The, it's amazing, uh, the, the concept and how it's going to come into reality. Yeah. I can, I, I'm just thinking about the co-working space, and if I was a grant writer, I take I take up space there, and I'd have thirty nonprofits to write grants for. Right, exactly. So I so so exciting. Yeah, and our we will have um, graduate students from Washington University working as practicum students, um, helping with that. So that's also going to be available as sort of free. And um, that's and what nonprofit that get great experience to have mentors for the nonprofits in the building. It's yeah. brilliant. And kudos, really, really kudos for that. Uh, I, I'm just so excited. And we usually keep our podcast to about 25 minutes hard. So uh, we're, if you'd like, we, I'd like to have another follow-up as we get closer to grand opening. Yeah, yeah, we're going to open. Um, we're actually going to start moving in tenants in September. But, okay. Um, everybody will be in probably by, by December, hopefully. And then we'll have a grand opening probably in spring of 2022, you know, when the weather's better. And we should have all of COVID behind us by then, I think. So we'll have a big grand opening. We'll probably have a little one, like each of the open, each of the tenants will probably have their board and their people over to, it just depends on how things go um, between now and then. But I think we'll be um, ready to have a big grand opening in spring of 2022. Well, this clearly shows that one person in a community committed one committed person in the community can make a huge difference uh and you know the glue that you that you've exhibited the the, the camaraderie and the bringing people together uh and the generation of these ideas uh i've been working on a on a co-work idea for new york state for the last couple months uh where we would actually put these centers in different places in the state because we have uh, in, in this age of COVID, we have people that were in offices that are not going to be able to go back to offices. And so one of the things that we found, uh, and, and this is just 
you know, isolate one thing that you're doing in your in your um, your center there. Uh, but one thing we found is communities that have co-work facilities are more desired and more competitive, and generally, you know, stabilize the job market uh, in, in a much better way than communities, communities that don't. So. You're, you're onto a lot. That, that's a good example of you know what you're onto. You're onto some things that are going to help in this environment that we're in. Uh, in addition to long term with the mentoring of students and so forth at Washington. I've also benefited greatly from meeting so many new people. I mean, it's not just me. This is a, a group effort, and while I've been the impetus of it and the vision of it, I could not do it alone. And I have met some of the most incredible um, leaders in our communities all over St. Louis that are cheering me on, giving me. A, they won't, when, there's days you wonder, like, why am I doing this? And they come to me and say, oh, no, you've got to do it. You've got to, we're, we're counting on you. We're moving in. We're going to be there with you. And that part is so uplifting, you know, that, yes. you know, that other people are with you that you didn't even know before. I mean, I didn't know these people before. And unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I think the other good thing about, about COVID is that it's allowed us all to kind of connect more frequently, to be honest with you, because we're not driving in our cars. We're not traveling. We can go. You know, we're spending our time mostly focused on this project or on the neighborhoods or on other issues that face our communities. So I, I have been blessed by um, a whole new world of relationships that I treasure and are good. And I wanted to show you um, that I have my own little um, constitution. You mentioned this art when you started. And mine opens up to the 13th, automatically just opens up to the 13th Amendment because that one has just really shocked me, you know, how... Um, we gave everybody the, uh, we canceled slavery, but we accept as a punishment for a crime. And then we use the, the mass incarceration system to yes. um, lock people up and keep them enslaved in a different way, in a much, in a terrible way. And so we also work on that. And one good thing about our building is we're going to have about a third of our tenants are education, a third are health care, and a third are community development. And wow. we want to make sure that, that our agencies are working towards those kinds of values that we as a country, you know, want to make better. And I think there's no better time than where we're going right now into coming out of this tragedy together or this catastrophe together uh, and saying we all know what went on. It's all terrible. And many of us know people that survived and know people that did not survive. What are we going to do different? We cannot go backwards. So I think it's the perfect timing for this project to open up, actually, and um, for us to be able to spread the word to other communities so they can do the same. That, that is the point, the point, is to be able to replicate this and share the message and the vision so that communities buy in and we, we can take back America. And it's really like giving a hug to a whole community. You know, it's not it's a teddy bear hug in a different way. It, it is really those things that you learn as a child that, you know, about a hug, the power of a hug. How much different your grandma, when your grandma hugged you tight, you know, what that, or your mom or your dad. You know, just such a difference, and we miss that. But this is this building. We'll get back to that, and this building will also be like a giant hug that you know makes a difference for a whole community. And you brought it full circle for us, Maxine. That that was fantastic. You have been you have been hearing the voice of what her most unique title in America, the founder. Talking about founder of the Build a Bear Workshop, founder and chief bear, chief executive bear. Maxine Clark, uh, she also founded, speaking of Bear Hugs, the Bear Hug Foundation. So we hope to talk about some of those things the next time we get together with Maxine. Maxine, you will come back and you'll talk to me. Okay, this, this is great. Uh, God bless you. Keep up the good work. And thank you so much for being with 
with uh, Ron and I here in, uh, we're in Schenectady, but we're going to be broadcasting this on Sunday, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock on Sunday morning.